Welcome to Sellersburg United Methodist Church Podcast, where we bring our mission to make disciples of Jesus Christ for the transformation of the world to you, wherever you are. friends and welcome to this opportunity of worship. And I'm going to address you as saints because those of us who have said yes to God, those of us who have said yes to Jesus Christ, yes to the Holy Spirit to receive baptism, you are the saints. Anytime we see that talked about in the New Testament, it's referring to those who have said yes, who have committed their lives. We are the saints of God. Now, you may be saying, I'm not sure that I feel saint-like, Well, that's honesty, that's humility, and that's a good thing. That's what makes you saint-like. If you said to yourself, oh, yes, I'm definitely a saint, I think probably you need to revisit and rethink. But that's what we're here for. We're here as a church not to say we have it all figured out, but to say we know who does have it all figured out. We know the direction to go to allow ourselves to be brought into all that is good and right and true, the way of Jesus Christ. And so what an opportunity for us to gather together virtually once again to encounter the word, to think about all that that means for our lives and all that this commitment offers us. And so we're going to read from a couple of different places in the New Testament. And the first is going to be from the gospel we call Matthew. And in this reading, as we continue from where we left off last week, Jesus is commissioning the 12 apostles. He's sending them out with the the instructions to announce that the kingdom of God, the rule of God, the reign of God has arrived and all that that means for them to accept this good news of the kingdom of God that has arrived and is now working in the world. It has been working through Jesus solely up to this point, but he sends them out to go and to heal, to preach, to do the things that he's been doing because the kingdom of God is going to come through them too. But he gives them a warning. He warns them about what's going to happen when he sends them out. And that comes from chapter 10, verse 34 through 39, and it reads, Jesus says, don't think that I've come to bring peace to the earth. I haven't come to bring peace, but a sword. I've come to turn a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. People's enemies are members of their own household. Those who love father or mother more than me aren't worthy of me. Those who love son or daughter more than me aren't worthy of me. Those who don't pick up their crosses and follow me aren't worthy of me. Those who find their lives will lose them. And those who lose their lives because of me will find them. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Our second reading comes from the letter to the church in Rome, Romans chapter 6. We begin in verse 1 and we'll read through verse 11. To set the stage in the context a bit here, 
Paul is speaking to a church that is divided. We can identify with this. There was a, a Roman emperor who had come into power in Rome and had expelled all the Jews. They were not allowed to remain. So they all had to leave, which meant that the church that was there had both Gentiles and Jewish Christians present in it, were learning to live together, and the Jews were teaching the story, and the Gentiles were understanding this new way. Suddenly the Jews are forced to leave for years, which meant that the Gentiles remain and are there learning and figuring out the church on their own which means that some of the Jewish heritage and roots is not being remembered and told and integrated. And so after years, when the Jewish people come back because the emperor died and a new emperor came and, and revoked that decree, and so the Jews were allowed back, and suddenly they find themselves entering the same walls, but in a much different church. And both groups are struggling to reconcile because the Gentiles, it seems, have forgotten any need they have for the Jewish roots from which their faith came. And the Jewish Christians are still very tied to their Jewish roots, and the Gentiles are, are further down the road in, in a different way than the Jewish Christians, and so they are clashing over who's right, who's more right, who needs to adjust, uh, who should maybe go, what's important and what's not, who's first and who's last, and they're having the same kind of arguments we have today. So Paul writes the letter in preparation for his arrival in the church of Rome to bring them together. Paul, the apostle to the Gentiles, who was also a faithful Jewish Pharisee and a Christian. So who better to write than Paul? So he's been writing and telling the story of the Jewish story, reminding them of the roots of the Jewish heritage and the importance and the deep-seated connection to the story of Jesus. And then also talks about the wonderful opportunity that has come through Christ that has now opened the doors for the Gentiles. And now it brings these unique challenges, but they can actually nurture one another. And so he has just spent in the previous chapter from today's reading talking about that through one person, through one human being, sin came into the world through Adam. And we can call him Adam. And that sin, this bondage to egocentric understanding because Adam picked from the fruit he wasn't supposed to pick through because he wanted to be God. He wanted to judge for himself. He wanted to live by his own standards and his own way that broke trust that he had with God. He broke the relationship with God, which led immediately to Adam and Eve breaking trust with one another. And that's the story. Sin ran rampant through everyone. And if sin ran rampant through everyone, but they were given the law, and the law which then revealed to them the right way to live, which also revealed how they were far from that right way, so it actually kind of amplified sin all the more, because now they were receiving more rules, and what do you do when you get rules? You rebel. But Paul goes on to say that through Jesus Christ, through the one man, through the fruit of a different tree, brought grace and truth to mend the brokenness between God and people, and then to begin the mending of relationship between people to people, that where sin had been so prevalent, grace abounded all the more. That you cannot outdo God's grace with sin. If there's more sin, there's more grace, which kind of leads to the question. So, so if we sin more, there'll be more grace, which begins us in chapter 6, verse 1. Paul writes, 
So what are we going to say? Should we continue sinning so grace will multiply? Absolutely not. All of us died to sin. How can we still live in it? Or don't you know that all who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Therefore, we were buried together with him through baptism into his death, so that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too can walk in newness of life. If we were united together in a death like his, we will also be united together in a resurrection like his. This is what we know. The person that we used to be was crucified with him in order to get rid of the corpse that had been controlled by sin. That way we wouldn't be slaves to sin anymore because a person who has died has been freed from sin's power. But if we died with Christ, we have faith that we will also live with him. We know that Christ has been raised from the dead and he will never again die. Death no longer has power over him. He died to sin once and for all with his death, but he lives for God with his life. In the same way, you also should consider yourselves dead to sin but alive for God in Christ Jesus. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. An incredible passage, two of them. Paired together, we see some things that I think will help us, especially in our current climate, our current situation, what we are facing today, as yet again a people divided, family divided, as a church divided, as a country divided. We can identify with the need of some reconciliation and some mending of brokenness. So let's begin with the Romans passage, and then we'll get to the Matthew passage, and then we'll talk about what it means for us. Paul is telling the great story of the Jewish people in such a way to help them understand the great story of Jesus Christ. So he overlaps a lot of things, and he's going to get into more of this next week. But ultimately what he's doing is he's reminding of the great central story of the Jewish people, of the Hebrew people, which is an exodus. And at this point in time in the church in Rome in the first century, the only scripture they have is the Hebrew scripture, exodus story. That defines who the Jewish people are. Moses leading Israel out of bondage in Egypt to become a people of God on the other side of water. So Pharaoh was another kind of king. Pharaoh dictated another kind of way of life. Great brokenness between Pharaoh and God, which is why his heart was hardened. Great brokenness between Pharaoh and his people, which is why he had slaves and oppressed people and the kind of system that kept them down and killed them. But then God heard the cry of those people, sent Moses, and after plagues, as you probably know the story, they were going to leave the land of bondage, the land of Pharaoh. They were going to leave the life of being slaves to this other way, and they did this by passing through the waters of the Red Sea and emerging on the other side, no longer slaves, no longer in the land of Pharaoh by the way of Pharaoh with the brokenness of that way. They emerged on the other side as one people. On this side, they weren't just family of Jacob. They were many different types of people. But when they emerged together on the other side, they were one. And then they began to walk 
in the wilderness. And over the period of the 40 years, they came to Sinai and received the law in a great marriage ceremony. And you read the language and it is all marriage ceremony. They say, I do. God says, I do. They agree to live this new way of life, faithful to one another. They continue their walk because they know they're going to arrive in the promised land, which is going to be where they become so far removed from the slaves they formerly were. They become a people to themselves, one nation, that will then be a light to the rest of the world about the way of their king, God, this way of mending, this way of reconciliation and forgiveness. That was the story. And Paul says, you all entered this story. You entered the story through baptism. Jesus came at a time when the people were slaves to sin, brokenness. Sin is living in a way that breaks relationships between people and breaks relationships between God. Either way that you're breaking relationships, you're living in sin. No matter what it is you're doing, it is sin with a capital S. But Christ came and experienced all that sin could throw at him. Betrayal, arrest, beating, mocking, nailing, crucifixion, and sin's ultimate power, death. And then Christ passed into death and arrived on the other side, wholly new, new body, new life, resurrected, never to die again, which then allowed him to empower us to recognize that we are slaves to sin, brokenness between relationships between ourselves and ourselves, ourselves and others, God and ourself, where we hold on to egocentric ways of thinking, our own way, where we continue to take the fruit and judge for ourselves and want to be like God ourselves, where we continue to forfeit the opportunity to have life as God would offer it and instead take the wages of sin and brokenness, which is destruction and death. But when we say yes to God, in our Wesley faith, we know God's at work in our life, but at some point we become aware of our need for God, of the bondage that we're in that we cannot break. As much as we try, we are addicted to the service of ourself of our own life. And we know this is true because when other ways present themselves, we get angry and afraid and we resist and we put walls up and we cut things off and we break relationships and we walk away from God even if we try to redefine what God wants for us. We're making the decision and judgment ourselves. And and we give over to this. But when we realize we need God... We join with Christ in that crucifixion. We pass in the symbol of the water into the death of Christ, and we emerge on the other side with Christ, renewed. But like the people of Israel, we have a new identity, and then we spend time walking in our faith, in our life, to receive counsel and teaching from the Holy Spirit within us, because we're baptized with water as a symbol, but the true baptism is through fire and the Holy Spirit, which Christ brings into our hearts to purify us, to reveal to us the ways that we've been living in a sense of self, 
we've been living in a sense of anger and hatred and we've been slaves to, and been controlled by things that we are helpless to. But we receive that spirit and we continue to say yes in a great marriage to God, which is the language we use for our baptism. I do, I do, I do. And then having been justified of the life behind us, we now enter into a life where we learn and grow and are purified, receive the spirit, and we walk until the day that we pass into the eternal life, the promised land, the new heaven, the new earth, and new bodies as one people where sin and death and destruction, self-centeredness, injustice, hatred, oppression, slavery is no more. And this is our story. It's a wonderful story, and we need to shout hallelujah that we are invited into this newness of life. But we need to understand some things. This newness of life while we sometimes just want to focus on all the good, and it is all good, is not all easy. And so we come to the Matthew passage. Jesus is sending the 12 out to proclaim the message of this new way, this new kingdom to which is breaking forth, to which everyone is invited to simply accept and become a part of by following in the walk, by following Christ. And he says, look, I didn't come to bring peace, but a sword. I know that's puzzling when we first hear it. But he also uses the language of picking up your cross. And you need to understand what that means. We talk about cross as a, as a lovely symbol that we have. We wear it around our neck. We wear it proudly. But where the language came from in the time that it was written was anything but something pretty that you might hang up in your church as a cause for celebration. You see, crosses were the work of Rome. In Rome, there was someone in charge, someone who referred to themselves as a son of God, someone who referred to themselves as Lord. You would say Caesar is Lord in the same way that we now say Jesus is Lord. And we say that only because Caesar would have people say Caesar is Lord. He called himself the Prince of Peace, the Savior of the world. There's a kingdom in place in Rome, and it's very present in the land of Israel. There's a kingdom in power, a way of life in motion. Jesus knows that when he shows up and is announcing a new way with a new king, with a new savior, there's only one result. Rome, when they get the sense that there's a revolutionary coming, proclaiming another kingdom, deterring people from giving allegiance and service to Caesar, who's become like a new pharaoh, there's only one thing you do. You make an example of them so that people don't follow and buy in. You hang them on a cross. A cross is a way to keep someone alive for multiple days and the most amount of pain possible. Usually there's a lot of agony expressed in sounds and the visual is horrifying. They become a living billboard, these revolutionaries that are crucified, to remind people that you don't challenge Rome. You don't challenge the status quo, or you will end up on this cross too. Jesus knew when you challenge the existing powers, the existing way, you will be punished. And so he says to the disciples, you're, you're bringing my way, this new way, God's kingdom, amidst another kingdom. 
It is not going to bring peace. It is going to cause division. You're challenging the status quo of entire groups of people, some of them in your own family. When you do that, you'll find out where people's loyalties actually lie. Do they lie with God? Or do they lie with their own way that they've convinced themselves is God? Are they enjoying that fruit? Will they actually hear the grace and the truth, believe in the things that Jesus is doing? Well, you're going to find out pretty quick. And he tells the disciples, you're embarking on this mission. Tells the church, you're walking into this new way amidst old ways that still exist. You are going to be confronted, and it is not going to be pretty at times. If you seek to protect your life, to hold on to everything that you want in your life, and you're unwilling to let go, you're leaving no room to accept what God has to offer you. But if you will change your way and let go of all that's in your life in such a way that you trust God will keep what belongs there, and you trust that if things fall away, if we're divided by a sword, that that's okay, then you can walk into this newness of life. Pick up that cross. Challenge the ways of the current kingdom. Challenge the status quo. Speak up against injustice and the ways that are against God. Let your life be lost. And you will actually find capital L life as I offer it. If you seek to just simply find your own life, you're going to lose the life that could be. Now, as baptized people, as Paul was reminding the church, we know that life. We know this. And we know how empty it really is. And we know the anger and fear that it drives. We have said yes. We've died with Christ. Sin's ultimate weapon, death, has no power over us anymore. We have emerged in this new way where we announce the kingdom and we live it. And we are guided by the Holy Spirit because we know that we are inching ever closer to the time when Christ comes and brings the kingdom in its fullness and all the things of the former way are gone forever. This is our faith and it's amazing. And Paul uses this particular phrase that we will walk in newness of life. In verse four he says, we were buried together, we were buried together with him through baptism into death. And therefore, we rose with him through the glory of the Father that we can walk in newness of life. Walk is particular. It's a New, Pas- New Testament word that we find a lot in many passages. And it means that it's not just about believing something. It's not just about intellectually accepting something. It's not what it is. It isn't about you, well, we show up to church on Sundays and then Monday through Saturday's mine. I can do what I want. I can, I can be a slave for six days and come on the one day and live into this new life. That is not walking. Walking is I now am governed step by step of my life into something entirely new, something that is unlike anything I've ever lived to prior because now I live to Christ and I follow in Christ's footsteps and I walk, I move, I continue forward. I never stop progressing. I allow the spirit to work. I committed myself to this and I say yes every single day to be married to God alone, to be married to the body of Christ alone, trusting that this is the only way that I am only, that I'm going to actually 
actually experience the life that God has to offer, the kind of life where we say no to the ways of the old world, where we say no to the bondage of self and egocentric perspective, where we say no to oppression and injustice, where we say no to anything other than God. And instead, we remember that we have emerged into a new life, and in every step of the way, we are seeking to grow and to become more the people we were intended to be in the first place to establish the new way in our lives and to mend relationships that we establish the kingdom and reign and rule of God in the lives of the people that we know. And we mend those relationships and we mend the relationship with God and we mend the relationship with the earth and with animals and with every bit of creation that we were meant to govern in the first place. And we walk forward to that great and glorious day where the kingdom is fully established and we experience the complete newness and renewal of all things. That is our hope. And every step we take today should be in the direction of that hope. Because when you've passed through the waters, there is no going back. When they came from Egypt and experienced life as children of God, there was no going back, even if sometimes they kind of missed some of the securities that came with that life. Read Exodus for more of that. Sometimes we will miss the security of knowing that we aren't risking a cross. We're going to miss the chance or the, the memories we have when we weren't in contention with some of our closest friends and family because they are still clinging to this. And we have said yes to something else. And we experience the division and it breaks our hearts. It truly does. It costs us but it costs us a, a fraction of what it is it gains us. My friends, lose your life. Everything you hold on so tightly, just do this. It doesn't mean it's going anywhere. Things in your life may stay right here in your palm. It's just you're not clutching anymore. You're letting God decide. Or even harder, you're letting the people Decide. Some people cannot get on board with this way that you are announcing. Some people cannot let go of their egocentricity. They cannot let go. They, they, they only define themselves by what they're enslaved to. And it's heartbreaking to be betrayed and abandoned like Jesus was. But we move forward ever witnessing to the reconciliation and the mending of relationships. And we beckon with the people to come with us, but ultimately we keep walking in the direction God has called us trusting in that way alone. What a joy it is to have found our new identity in Christ, to be the saints of the church. If you haven't experienced this yet, if you have not said yes to God, if you have not gone through baptism to become a part of the body of Christ, then contact me. Comment on this video. Call the church. Go to our website, sellersburgumc.com. Reach out to us and let us know. We would love to walk with you. And if you have said yes, if you have been baptized, and maybe you have found that you're still doing some clutching, grace abounds all the more, my friends. 
Wake up to the fact that you are dead to sin, that you may experience the newness of life offered to you. Let go and trust in God alone. And join us all as we are in this together, as we learn more and more each day. It says we're united with Christ. The actual word means planted. So we grow, we become more through the power of the Holy Spirit within us. Let us take the next step together. And may grace and peace in Jesus Christ find you this day. Amen. We thank you for joining us today. And it is our hope that you have experienced the blessing of God through our time together. If you'd like to know more about our church community and its ministries, visit our website at sellersburgumc.com.